Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. So good. Hey, so welcome this morning. It's good to have you here with us. And uh, for the next few moments, we're going to be jumping back into a psalm because we've, uh, although we had one week out of the psalms because we had that um, ark debacle two weeks ago, we had to uh, have a look at um, in Samuel. But we're back in the psalms this morning. In fact, this was the psalm that I had prepped for that Sunday and uh, apprehended and changed the message. So we're in Psalm 16. If you want to follow along, um, I'm just wondering, Simon, do we have the verses for... If you, do, you do. if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. That's all good. But we're going to follow along. What I'm going to do is pretty much just do a bit of a line-by-line a line breakdown of Psalm 16, because I feel like we've, there's some, uh, oh, has he got it? Has he got it or what? Can we just encourage these guys at the back? They did a phenomenal job. Should have never doubted, eh? I should have never doubted. So good, so good. Hey, so we've been, like I said, in the Psalms, and I believe there are some, like, real gems that we can draw from the Psalm. And... Uh, and, and so we're going to read through it. We'll read through the whole psalm. It's 11 verses. And then we're going to back back up and just sort of piece our way through it in the few moments we have together. But before I do that, I want to pray. And uh, let's, so let's just do that now. Father God, we thank you for our time we have together this morning. And we thank you for your presence in this place, God. We thank you that you are everywhere. You're, you're a God that's, uh, that's just everywhere. You're omniscient. You're, you're, just, you're here. You're everywhere. It's a crazy deal to try to wrap our heads around that. But um, hey, it's because you're God, right? But uh, God, I, 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 although you are here... I would, I, my prayer is that every person here would realize, <laughs> would know, would feel an intimate connection with you in these few moments we have, that you are really present for them in this place. Make yourself known. God, I pray that your word would speak truth to our hearts and our minds, that, God, you would bring clarity to our lives, that we would see you clearer and that we would follow you harder and that out of this, Father God, we would see a sense of encouragement and purpose that... Uh, we were once refugees, but now we are heirs in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So this is a psalm of David. It's a psalm, and it's called, uh, he says it right at the very first in verse 1. He says it's a miktam, and uh, I don't know if you know what a miktam is. I certainly did not. Uh, psalms can be all sorts of things. They can be songs. They can be this, that, and the next thing. But this is called a miktam. So I had to look into that. What the heck is a miktam? And uh, I was quite pleasantly surprised. Because a miktam is commonly understood, the translation of this word is commonly understood as being golden, being golden, all right? Another way that people re- relate this word is to mean to cover. So it means to be something that is golden, something that is precious, and it's something to cover. And so we see these miktams in the, in the Psalms, there's about four or five of them, they are all in moments of, of distress, they're all in times of peril. So when they're in times of peril and times of distress, they turn to these miktams. And the way I look at it is that a miktam is like a covering of the lips that is golden for you when you're in a time of peril, right? So when you're going through something tough, when you're going through a, a situation that's hard and, and, and fear might want to creep in and, and, and worry starts to rise and anxiety starts to rise, what, that's, what, what David is, is saying is, in that moment, I'm going to turn to these words which are going to encourage my soul, which are going to help me get a perspective that is going to help me through this time of peril. David knew 
times of peril. Uh, as we've said in previous Sundays, he was the anointed king, anointed to be king of, of Israel, the nation of Israel, the second king after Saul. But Saul, the king at the time, was jealous and envious of David, envious of his giftedness, of his, of his relationship with God, of, of, the, of the mighty warriors that followed David, because David was a man of courage. And Saul had that insecurity, that imposter syndrome right from the start of his leadership, which turned in his heart bitterness, and he ended up chasing after David, trying to kill David. So imagine this, you're the anointed king-elect, and the king at the time who has all the power in the kingdom is trying to hunt you down and kill you, David knew peril. He knew peril. And so that's just one example. When he was a shepherd for his father looking after his sheep, he came across lions and bears, and he, he, in his own, he says, I had to take those out. I had to look after the sheep. He knew peril. He knew long times away from family. He was the youngest of his family. He, and we'll get into this because it talks about inheritance here in this psalm, but he had no inheritance because he was the youngest. In those days, it was the oldest got the inheritance. It was like, you get, the, you get everything, and, and, and if you're younger, you, you don't. And so he, he knew the situation of being least, of lack, of yet he was anointed by God to be king, yet he has this incredible relationship with God. But in this moment, we see a miktam, a moment which is this, this is a time of peril that you need to put this gold on your lips to cover your lips with his life-giving words. Now that we've got that as an introduction, let's read it, shall we? All right. Follow, me, follow along with me if you can. So here we go. Preserve, preserve, a of David, preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O God, for you, in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out to take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which means the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't this an incredible moment? He starts off saying, I take refuge in you. I run to you in this time of peril. I've got this mictam of golden words to say, I can take my refuge in you, God. He starts off as a refugee. And in the end, he ends coming out of this as an heir of an inheritance of a promise in the presence of God where fullness of joy is even in the presence of trouble. It's a pretty cool outcome. Maybe we need to get some mictams on our lips as well. Amen? All right. So, like I said, he says, Preserve me, O God, I take refuge. I take refuge. Preserve me. So he's in a state right now in a, in a place of peril. Maybe you can relate with anything that's either in your life now or you can look back on your life and think times of peril. And it feels like all you can do is ask for preservation. Ask for a state of maintaining. Like all I'm writing right now is to not go backwards, like to not deteriorate. When we preserve things, and, um, and I know that Bex's mum, she grew up with a preserving mum. Anyone else grew up with a preserving parent that loves just to preserve everything, have jars and jars, AG jars coming out their wazoo? No one? Just, just you, honey? 
You're also homeschooled, and so I'm seeing a bit of a connection here. But anyway, preserving and homeschooling, I think, go hand in hand, don't they? Next thing, out comes the dehydrator. I can't even get the word out. A dehydrator, and you know, you're dehydrating everything. Hey, so good, isn't it? That kind of life. But preservation and preserving is simply maintaining the constant state of what something is. And so David, in this point of peril, whatever's coming against him, he's saying, just keep me here. Don't let me slip backwards, right? Preserve me. I run to you like a refugee without any place to put, without any place of my own, without any place that I can call my own. I am a refugee. I'm coming to you for refuge. I'm seeking solace and protection from you. Another preserve is a game preserver. We don't really call them that in New Zealand. We have, con- land, we have conservation blocks, but in, in, in other nations around the world, they have game preserves and where they're preserving the nature of these game animals and keeping things intact, the natural thing before it gets wiped completely away and we lose these natural um, gifts that we have in this world. But don't let me deteriorate. Don't let me go, you know, let, don't let things get worse than they are. That's where he starts in this moment. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate. And I just want to say that's an honest and a great place to start. Like what Alexa just said about breakthrough, it's not about faking it until you make it. I'm not a fake it till you make it kind of guy. I'm never going to be a proponent of fake it till you make it kind of. I think honesty and and authenticity is where you need to start. And I think that's a great place. I think it needs to be infused with faith, not fear. But I think authenticity to say, God, just preserve me. I'm in this place and being honest with where you're at rather than trying to masquerade it with a shell of fake faith, you know? Like, I'm just going to speak these words and even though my heart is far from what I'm saying, it's going to be okay because there's magic in these words. No, there's no magic in the words. There's not. God says you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Therefore, I don't take any pleasure in your offerings to me because you're honoring me here, but not here. There's nothing in that that actually, because I'm after this, right? I'm after this. And so, it's an awesome place to start in a place of honesty. I believe that honesty is a great place to start to draw the presence of God. I think that if we try too hard to, 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 to fake it, and I, we, we, I'm like, I've been, we've, if, if you've been around Christianity and church for any amount of time, and, and even in your own words, you can see it, and, and there's, it's, there's just a distaste in it. It just doesn't, it's not, it's, there's a fakeness in there that's no good. We need to be honest. Honesty is a great place to begin. Preserve me, O God, I take refuge in you. And then he says in my Lord, for you are my Lord. So he honors God as his Lord. And that's not just something we want to just whip on past because as I've said previously, sometimes we like God as our Savior, bail me out, Jenny in the lamp, come rescue me. I've got some trouble. I've got some trial. And so like, I don't need you when I don't need you. But when I need you, I need you. I know that was pretty straightforward, wasn't it? But like, we have this attitude of like, I don't, God is like a completely... Uh, outside of the realm of our life until something happens and a peril crisis comes and all of a sudden we're like, God, that's, that's God as Savior, right? But what David has, and we'll see this from the psalm, is there's a relationship with God where God is not just Savior, but He is Lord, capital L. And Lord is Lord in a, in a, in a dominion. And when there's a dominion in a kingdom, in kings and lords, there is like an authority that, that when the king says something, you do it. It's not a democracy. It's not a negotiation. There is a submission. There is a bending of the knee. There is a lordship in David's life that's important to understand. Not just Savior, but Lord. You are my Lord, Therefore, there is a humility, there is a bowing, there's a sense of, what do you want to do? I've placed you in that place in my life. And he says, I have no good apart from you. Now, that's an interesting line. He might think that, who knows what he actually meant by that. He might have meant that I have no, like, all the things I have, like, I don't have anything that is good 
unless it's come from you, because all the things I that are good have come from you. It says uh, in the New Testament, all good things come down from the Father of life. So everything good comes from God. Oxygen you're breathing. You know, the person that you're in love with, God made them, right? The person that you married, a gift from God. The children, sometimes a gift from, no. <laughs> Gifts from God, every good thing. Whether we acknowledge God as the author of those things or not, it's common grace. The rain that falls, the seasons, the earth that spins, and all of the things in the sun and the moon, everything that he created for our good pleasure and for his glory, they are good things, and we have no good apart from God. We are, it's, it's, it's like when it's a, it's a birthday in our family, and one of our kids wants to give a gift, and they come to me and they say, can I have $5 to buy a gift for someone? So yeah, here's $5, use my money to buy a gift for them. Like, whatever you give, what is, you have, apart from me, you're giving what I gave you. Like, and even worse, when they want to buy a gift for me, can I have $10 to buy a gift from you? I was like, okay, that's good. You know, here's $10, thank you for the gift. I you know, it's like, it all comes from God, right? Like, it all comes, and so even when we, when we let it go and we do things with it, it it's comes from God. I have no good apart from you. I'd also say that we have no righteousness, no good, no real decent goodness apart from God. What goodness is in humanity is God put in there. God created us and he created us good. He looked at his creation and the creation story and he's still back and he says it is good. He created you and I and he said it is good. We're his masterpiece, it says in Ephesians. Created for good works. You are his work of art and he loves you. He loves you so much. But the goodness that we have, we don't have apart from God. That brain that you have, that ability, that gift and that talent you have. I always find it funny when a, basket, when a seven-foot guy dunks the basketball. You're seven foot tall. You shouldn't boast in that. You should be able to dunk the basketball. And you didn't choose to be seven foot tall. The genetics that you got, you know, you can't glory and revel in the fact that your genetics caused you to be that way. All glory back to God. Amen. Let's carry on. As, uh, let's, I really want to dig into this verse 3. This is interesting. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. And I've got a commentary on that. I'm just going to scroll down to it. I re- didn't really want to use my notes, but I like this one. I like this one a lot. <laughs> got to look at my notes. Okay, it says here, I've got two. These are some, from some commentary here. It says this. So David is delighting in the people of God, despite all their failings, their scandals, and their embarrassments. And friends, when you've been traveling along the church family journey for a while, you come across some embarrassments and some scandals, some failings, some annoyances, some real frustrations. And uh, I like the fact that probably said the iron sharpens iron because you're a sparks baby in the family. It just happens to be the way it is, right? But David still delighted. He delighted in the people of God. He delighted in them. And it says here, this, this is the commentary. This is an obvious failing for many followers of Jesus Christ today. They are so negative about the people of God that they find themselves unable to see an excellence in God's people, unable to delight in them. And the next one says, this is a practical matter, for it, is a, for it is a way by which we can measure our relationship to the Lord. Do you love other Christians? Do you find it good and rewarding to be with them? Do you seek their company? This is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will love the company of those who also love him. I think that's quite challenging. Uh, we are very... Uh, vocal about we're not trying to create a Christian huddle in C3 Wellington where your life is spent going from one Christian program to another Christian program to another Christian program and your whole life is just taken up with church activity because we don't fully feel that's the right way to live life. But at the same time, there needs to be a desire and a longing to build, love, and edify the family God around you, to be quick to forgive, slow to judge, you know, 
Slow to judge is probably even the wrong language. We shouldn't judge. But I feel like sometimes today it's, 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 it's a challenge to love one another. Now, I think C3 Wellington, we're a loving, gracious, awesome. I love you guys. and I, This is an amazing church. So, but I just want to remind you that we are called family to lift and love the family of God, not despite the world or not despite people that are outside of the family of God, but ultimately, what are we drawing people into? Right? We're drawing people to Jesus. Yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to Jesus, but he's also drawing them to Jesus' family, which is you and me. And no one wants... Have you ever been in that awkward family, that awkward moment where there's tension? The tension of, a, of awkwardness. You're sitting and you just feel the tension in the room of family members. It's like, you know, it's this real awkward. It's like... You know, and it's like unspoken tension because you can feel it. We don't want people to walk in a room feeling that kind of nonsense, do we? There needs to be a sense of unity and love, and this is what the Holy Spirit brings. Amen? Awesome. Right, where am I? I've got to go back to the top here. Here we go. All right. So as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. I want to encourage you practically, pray for one another. Pray for one another. As a leadership team, um, we pray for you, and I want to encourage you, be praying for one another. Uh, this might seem self-serving, but pray for Bex and I. One of the things that will uh, always try and find a way into church community is division from your leaders, a separation from your leaders, and, 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 and that makes it very difficult in moments like that to even receive the word, to, to, to receive ministry and, and, and prayer. And so the thing that closes the gap is, is prayer. Just decide, I'm going to be praying I'm going to pray for, and so I'm not trying to make this, but I'm just saying that's going to help bring unity. And so the enemy's trying to, uh, to shut down your purpose by creating a gap in relationship. And we are called, our, look, and I'll keep saying your purpose is to people. Your purpose is to people, always. Whatever God's got calling on your life is to people, one way or the other. The sorrows of those who run after, this is verse 4, the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Interesting that because, you know, taking like uh, the, the prophecy that, that God gave over Eve in the garden, you greatly, you, you know, think your pain will multiply. And there's this sort of common thread there that the, after those that run after God, they, they, you know, their, their sorrows will multiply. They drink offerings of blood. I'll not pour out. But basically, he's just saying it's not good to chase after little G gods. And I always think, well, you know, back in then he's probably thinking maybe pagan things, wooden carvings, things, you know, the, you know, the, the priests of Baal that would cut themselves and pour blood out before this, you know, this God. And so we have this kind of, uh, I call it almost, you know, like chronological snobbery. Like we see, we see them talk about gods and we think like wooden carvings or whatever. But I mean, God is just anything that, that, that we, we give our ultimate trust and, and joy and appreciation over to. What? What if, 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 if it left your life would, would crush you? You know, what, what is the thing that you give all of your trust and all of your, all of your uh, faith into? Because we all, I don't think there's anyone that walks this earth that doesn't have a God, is what I'm trying to say. There's, n- there's not a person that walks this earth that doesn't have a God. We all do. The question is, what is, what is it? I think human beings make lousy gods. And we're prone to fail one another. You know, often it is. It's often in our partners or in our family or in our kids or in our job or in our, you know, our possessions or in our gifts or our talents, whatever it might be. But running after those things and putting them, like even good things, we may become ultimate things, become bad things, right? They're good things, but when they become ultimate, uh, it says that they lead to sorrow. We'll carry on. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, you hold my lot. So here we go. We start seeing that 
that he, he's starting to talk about inheritance now. You hold my lot. Verse 6, the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love this. He's saying that regardless of the fact that I was the youngest, regardless of the fact that I had no family inheritance, because I'm in you and because I'm in your family, because of my faith in you and my relationship with you and because you are my Lord, I have a beautiful inheritance. And family, that's the coolest thing. One of the greatest things is that we have an inheritance purchased for us. The greatest fear, uh, actually, you know, there's two, (laughs) two of the greatest fears. Number one is public speaking. That's the greatest fear. You know what the second greatest fear is? Death. So people, so that as the saying goes, someone, the person would rather be in the casket than given the eulogy, as the, as the story goes, but at, at a funeral. But the greatest two fears, public speaking and then death. We fear death. But the greatest thing about following Christ, one of the greatest things is that we don't have to fear death, that he put death to death, right? That he created us eternal. He created us to live forever and that and we believe in him. We, just, we don't just get to experience joy now, but we get the fullness of joy with him forever. We have a beautiful inheritance. I love that the gospel transcends every race, every creed, every demographic, every socioeconomic position. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people everywhere for all time. Thank you, God. We have a beautiful inheritance. Just had to get that in there. Verse 7, I believe the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. Sorry, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart instructs me. And I just want to scroll down because I've got another version here. It says, my heart also instructs me in the night seasons. And do you, think that, do you think that what David means, and it could be two things. Do you think that he means that when he flicks the lights out, because of course blows, blows the oil, carry the lantern out, whatever he had, the lamp out, that at night all of a sudden his heart, like that's the time when God starts, because maybe he's lying down, he's settled, and maybe just God starts to talk to him at night time. Like God's like turns up at 10 o'clock at night. That's when he starts to counsel him. Or could it be that the night seasons are dark seasons, are hard seasons? Are the seasons what we walk through where it feels like everything's closing in on us, that we can't really see what's ahead? We don't know the steps for us and it feels like life has cut us off at our knees and we're in what another preacher says, the dark night of the soul. I love the fact that what he's saying is your words, in those moments, they counsel me. They help me. Your words get me through. And so my thing here, my encouragement to you today is bank it. Bank it. What do I mean by that? Store it up. You can't wait for the moment to go, shoot, maybe I need to turn to the Word of God. Now, yes, you can do that, but I'm saying what's better for you, what will hold you, maintain you, preserve you, is if it's already in there. It's or The truth is already inside you. It's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that, that, um, that I... Present my, what is it? I renew my mind by the washing of your word. That as I wash, as I, as I receive the word of God, the truth of God over my life, it's washing and renewing my mind. It's just changing the way I think. So when tough times come, when the dark night of the soul comes, I've already got the truth of God in me to speak out into that darkness and hold me as an anchor in that moment. So you've got to bank it, family. You've got to bank it. You'll know where your faith is at when it's tested, James says. Why, he says, count it all joy when you are tested. It's not because God doesn't know where your heart is at. God knows exactly where you're at, but you don't know. You don't know how strong your faith is. You don't know how deeply anchored you are until you come against a tough moment in your life and whether it starts to shake and life starts to crumble around you or you stand firm on that moment going, I've got faith in God in this moment. We need to bank it. 
We need to bank it. We need to bank the Word of God in our heart. We need to make time to get God's truth, God's Word into us. So in those dark nights of the soul, we've got an anchor. Amen? Preach. All right, moving on. Go back to the top. All right, where are we going? Here we go. The lines of lines of falling. Yes, yes, nice, good stuff. Very good. Dark night of the soul. Here we go. So I've set the Lord always before me because he's I bless the Lord with who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. It's amazing the words we have in our mind, isn't it? It's amazing where we live in our eternal dialogue. Have you caught yourself in that moment and had a moment of self-reflection when your eternal dialogue's going? Have you stopped to go, and I want to bring us back to the winning the war in our mind series, to stop to go, let's take that thought captive, take a step back and go, what's the origin of that thing? What's the origin? Where did that originate from? Is this a good thought for me to be numerating on it? What's the word? Ruminating, NF song coming. Uh, uh, ruminating on. Is this a word that, uh, this is, a, is this an encouraging thought? It's important that in those moments, isn't it? It feels like when we're down, we can get kicked even further down by our thought life. Take your thoughts captive. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Now, I love this. We're transitioning now. And if you've got a track, guys, you can go ahead and play that. That'd be fantastic. It's going to bring a bit of atmosphere as we close out this morning. I love how he's transitioning now. I set the Lord always before me. You're instructing my heart. You're giving me counsel. I think back to those, those guys that worship the statues and were worshiping these wooden things. Like, where, how could that piece of wood counsel them? How could it give them any sense of direction? Yet we have a living God that counsels us, that speaks to us, that instructs us. And he says, therefore, you're at my right hand. You're with me. You're close to me. You're never far from me. You're right with me. And if you're with me, I will not be shaken. That's the truth. If any time you find yourself in a, str- in a struggle, in a tough moment, he's right beside you. He's right with you. He's right there with you. And God's never shaken. God's never shaken. God never goes, heck, what do we do? He never says, oops. He's right He's, he's right there. He's got a plan. He's going to get you through it. You're going to look back and go, oh, yeah, look what you did. David certainly did. David certainly did. But in this moment, he's activating faith. He's activating something in him. He's activating the truth of the Word of God that I will not be shaken in this moment of peril. I will not allow the situation. I'm going to let the Word of God speak to my heart and I'm going to speak to my situation. I know that you're right with me. And listen to this. Therefore, therefore, and I've got to always say, whenever there's a therefore, you've got to know what's before the therefore, but now we've got the therefore. My heart is glad. We've got a glad heart. In the the presence of darkness, in the presence of peril, in the presence of things closing in on him, he's now got a glad heart. Something has transacted in his spirit, in the presence of God, as he acknowledges God's presence, he's he's now moved from refugee, running, maintaining, into a place of gladness. Something's happened. And my whole being rejoices, David said. My flesh will dwell secure. That's a word for anyone struggling with ailments and sickness and disease and anything coming against your flesh. It will dwell secure. God will bring 
healing in Jesus' name, for you will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Whether he meant it or not, he's prophesying about Jesus right now. He's saying it about himself, but he's prophesying about Jesus. And this is Old Testament. This is before the cross. This is before we knew the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He's believing in God and his faith in God is so strong. That he's saying, even if I die, you will, not let your, you will not let me see the grave. Somehow I believe I will be with you, God. Somehow I believe that I will live with you, that my death is not the end of me. So even if this thing overwhelms me, and even if this thing takes me out, it's not the end for me. It's not my end. It's not the end of my chapter. It's not the end of my life. There is something beyond even death itself, and that is you, and therefore I will dwell secure. Isn't that powerful? What faith in God, yet He's still prophesying about Jesus, the Holy One. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. And I just wonder, hanging on the cross or maybe going to the cross, whether Jesus had this Psalm 16 on His lips. You're not going to let your Holy One see corruption. I'm going to take the sins of the world away. You're not going to let me see corruption. I believe that you will rise, that I will rise from the dead. Jesus, in that moment, because He was the only Holy One. He was the only sinless one. He was the only one that could become the sacrifice for us to take away the sins of the earth, to become the lamb that was slain for the sins of the earth. He was the only one that lived perfectly and died without wrongly on a cross for you and for me, but death couldn't hold him. The corruption of the grave could not hold him because he was holy. He was blameless and therefore he rose and he's victorious over Satan, sin and death. And those that believe in him will also have his blood poured over their lives and they will stand before God justified for what he has done for us. Do I get an amen? You have made known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And that your right hand of pleasures forevermore. I don't know what you know, what you've experienced, but I'm just telling you that there's no greater pleasure, there's no greater joy than the presence of God. There's nothing that surpasses it. There's nothing created that is better than it. There is no substance that's a better high. There's no thing that you can enjoy that's of greater pleasure than to experience in its fullness the presence of God. I say that with 100% conviction, I don't want to peddle propaganda. <laughs> I don't want to stand up here and speak from a place of this, but not this. But the greatest experience I've ever had is the presence of God. It's experiencing Jesus is real and it blew, blows my mind and it still blows my mind today. When the presence of God comes, I can do nothing but cry because of His presence. And it's not a bad cry. It's just what is the express, expression of humanity to express the feeling of the presence of God? We've got to go to the extremes. I've either got to get extremely angry <laughs> or just overwhelmed emotionally. It's just the presence of God. It's the most powerful thing, the most powerful thing. And you see the perils that come into our life, they are masked to trip us up, to take us from, make us run from the presence of God. They want to masquerade like it's God's fault. Where was God? They want to divide you, separate you out from the presence of God, and then get you trying to do it in your own strength, trying to get through it in your own strength, where David started by saying, I'm coming to you, I'm coming to you, I'm coming to you. And by the end of it, he found him, didn't he? He went from, I'm running to you as in refuge. I trust in you. My soul trusts in you. I'm talking to my inner person. I trust in you. I trust in you. I believe, I believe. He 
he's speaking himself into a place of faith. And then it gets to that place where he transitions into a place of joy and gladness. That's crazy. It's it's countercultural, isn't it? It's countercultural that you can find yourself facing insurmountable odds. And instead instead of turning to fear, you can be overwhelmed with joy and gladness. That's powerful. That's so awesome. And that's the truth of God's, when we turn to God, when we turn to God's will, when we turn to God, that is the truth. That gladness, joy is found. Come on, church, let's stand.